Good morning. I want to greet each one in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Felt led this morning to continue in my study in Hebrews. Um, so you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. The focus of the message this morning is on Christ's priesthood. Do we fully understand what it means to have Christ not only as our Savior, but also as our priest? As we think about priest, um, I think there would have been a lot more understanding and... and, um, interest in this thought for those who came out of the Jewish faith where the priests carried a very, very significant role in their lives. But it's interesting when you think about priests, even other false religions have priests. Um, Just to name a few, the Hindus, the Buddhists, um, even some satanic cults have someone who fills the role of a priest, whether or not they call him a priest. Some, many do. The definition of a priest is someone who carries out like a ceremonial duties related to religious activities. And pretty much every religion that has that position of a priest, they're an intermediary between God and man. And that is what we see in the Old Testament. The priest performed sacrifices and offerings for man to God. And and that's what we want to look at as we look at the Old Testament priest and then how Christ fulfilled that. How the priests of the Old Testament were a type and shadow of the role Christ would fill, but yet it was only a small similarity. There's, there's more we'll look at. So let's uh, begin there in Hebrews chapter five, 5, beginning at verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for man in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So I had to think about it when I was studying this. How how did men communicate with God before they were priests. There are a couple thousand years of history until the first priest is mentioned in the Bible. Um, the first mention of a priest is Genesis fourteen eighteen. You can turn with me to that. Because this is going to be an important part of the message this morning. Looking at this person that is mentioned here. Genesis 14, Verse 18. So we have the story of of Abraham. He went uh, and fought 
the enemies of Sodom, which is kind of ironic when you think about that uh, God destroyed Sodom for their sin. But at this point, um, a number of people were captured, including, I believe, Lot. Abraham went and he fought against the enemy and delivered those who had been captured and their goods. And after he was returned from that, verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he said, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And then Abraham goes on and actually gives a tithe um, to Melchizedek. But this is the first time that we have any reference to someone fulfilling the position of a priest. So how did men communicate with God before that? I think when we look back, we don't have a lot of history before this, but uh, written down. But we know that um, the sons of Adam would make offerings to God themselves. And I think that's how men did it before they were priests. But here we begin to see God's plan for the next couple thousand years would be that there would be priests that are called up by God to offer sacrifices for the people. As I talk this morning, there are a few similarities between ministers, pastors today, and priests of the Old Testament, but there are also many differences. And part of that, as we go through and look at it, is because of what Christ did. We no longer have to do what the priests did. We don't have to offer sacrifices today because Christ made the ultimate sacrifice. Also, I believe, because Jesus is our high priest, you are no longer required to go through a priest to communicate with God. But yet, that's how it was. That's how they, that's how they needed to communicate with God. But one of the things I find interesting here in verse uh, 4 and I think is important even today when God, when there are leaders for the people, whether it's a missionary, a pastor, whatever, is that God does the calling, that God does the choosing. We need to be careful that we don't try to choose ourselves when God has not called us. We need to be careful of that. But it was important that God would choose. We see the example of Moses and Aaron. God, Moses was the leader. Aaron was the first in the line of priest for the children of Israel. God chose Aaron. He, Aaron did not choose himself. And you may say, well, what about Christ? And we'll, we'll dig into that later on. Last time we looked at Hebrews... We looked at the story of Korah and how he tried to rise up and rebel against God's chosen leaders. At that point, I addressed it in the reference to Moses, but also he rose up and wanted to usurp 
Aaron in his role and what God called him. And yet, because of that, God was very upset because he had called Aaron. And now this man, Korah, and his followers were trying to take that on themselves. I appreciate the way we choose our leaders, ministers, deacons, bishops here. Not saying that other systems, other processes that churches use are necessarily wrong. But I believe the one we use here is biblical in the sense that we allow God to do the choosing. Just as it was important in the Old Testament, I believe that's just as important in the New. Moving on then to verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have, have I begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God, yes, it's hard to understand at times to wrap our minds around the Godhead, the Trinity, and how they all work together. But yet it says here that Jesus didn't choose this himself, the role of high priest. But the Father called him to it, just as he calls called men in the Old Testament to be priest. He called Jesus to be a high priest. But it didn't just come automatically to Jesus. As we go through this chapter, and also I'll be looking in chapter 6 and 7 of Hebrews also today. Jesus then needed to go through the steps to become that high priest. It wasn't just automatically put on him. Psalms uh, 110 verse 4, you don't need to turn with me to that, but unless you want to, I just want to read that quick. We see another reference to Melchizedek in the Old Testament. And this is a psalm of David, but is making reference to the coming Savior, to, to Jesus. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I'm guessing that most people in the Old Testament period did not completely understand what it was talking about there. What did it mean that the one who was coming would again be a priest after the order of Melchizedek? And again we see that here in Hebrews 5 verse 6. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Why isn't Jesus just a priest in the order of Aaron. And we'll break that we'll break that down more later. But now I'd like to continue verses seven through ten of Hebrews five. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared Though he were a son, yet learned by uh, sorry, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. 
called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Once again, it says this, after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7 there, I believe, is speaking of uh, the story that we have of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Turn with me to Matthew 26. Like I said earlier, the priesthood did not just pass upon Jesus without him also doing his part to suffer. Similar to a a priest, a high priest in the Old Testament, who was was a human himself, uh, struggled with temptation, struggled with pain, with all the things that come with being a human being. Jesus, to be a perfect high priest for us, also needed to suffer. Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And then we come down to verse 45. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep now, sleep on now, and take rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. With this story, we see how Jesus, even though he was a perfect person, had no sin in him, Yet he was in a human body and he struggled with the idea of going through torture and death. And the Bible talks about in other places where he was in all points tempted like we are. He, was, he struggled like we did, but yet without sin, which made him a more perfect high priest than what we had in the Old Testament. Um, verse 10 of Hebrews chapter uh, 5 I want to look more at that idea of God calling Jesus a priest after the order of Melchizedek like I mentioned earlier why what was the significance of that Why, why didn't he like I said earlier say that he was of the order of Aaron Um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7 and this is where I was going to mostly just look at Hebrews 5 and 6 this morning, but it it seemed like we needed to include chapter 7 to be able to understand this idea better of what the order of Melchizedek means. Hebrews 7, beginning at verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth 
of the spoils. I'm not saying that I have a complete understanding of this, but I did look into this. What does it mean, verse 3, that he's without father, without mother? I didn't believe it meant that he was this person that just was created out of nothing. I believe he was a human being. So I looked into it. The E-Swords, my E-Sword Study Bible, gave the idea, and this is what I... I wondered if this is what it meant. This, this is what they believe it means. Is You couldn't trace his lineage back to anybody spiritual, important, previously. Obviously, he came from Noah's family. Every human being alive at this point would have, just like we are today, come through, through Noah and his family. But yet, he did not have this spiritual lineage the way that you could trace Abraham back or any... Jew up to the time of Christ you could trace their lineage back so his lineage was unknown both his father and his mother scripture doesn't tell us when he was born or when he died and yet even though we don't know much about him it it tells us that he was a high a priest of God of the of the righteous he was righteous he was a peaceful person And yet, it's interesting, you know. So he was outside of the priesthood in the Jewish people. Later on, God would start the priesthood through Aaron, and then all all priests would need to come out of the tribe of Levi. Well, obviously, Melchizedek was not a part of that. He was not part of the Jewish lineage. But yet, he was a priest of God. So why the significance there when it comes to Christ? The priest of Aaron, the, of the order of Aaron, were for only for the Jews. They were not for anyone else. Melchizedek was not even a Jew. And so I believe he was a priest of God for anyone that came to him. Jesus was not of the tribe of Jesus was not of the tribe of Levi. He was of the tribe of Judah. So technically under the law, he could not be a high priest. But yet, we see in the Old Testament, Psalms 110 verse 4, God was prophesying that he would, that the Savior, the, the Redeemer, would be a priest. So how is that possible? Let's turn, let's continue then in chapter 7, picking up at verse 5. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is of their brethren, though they came out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may say, so say Levi also, who received the tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him, 
If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And yet it is far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. And it kind of goes back and forth. It's a little bit hard to follow. But we see that, in essence, by Abraham giving tithes to Melchizedek, it was almost saying that here was a greater priesthood. The priesthood of Aaron would come out of Abraham, and yet that priesthood tithed to the priesthood of Melchizedek. And to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, the priesthood of Aaron was very, very important. And yet we see this type and shadow of Melchizedek pointing to a priesthood yet to come, and that would be Christ. What are some of the other significant parts of it? And I believe it's that Christ would change the law. He wouldn't remove it, but it says he would, as it says different places, he would fulfill it. He would change it and now make it possible for all men everywhere to come to him for salvation. And I believe that's one of the amazing things that we see here in this passage, as we think of Christ as the high priest, he didn't just come to be the high priest for the Jews, as I believe most Jews understood and believed when they thought about the coming Messiah. They thought of someone who was going to come and make the Jewish people even greater. He was going to come and bring glory and salvation to them. Not understanding that Jesus wasn't just coming for them, but in the order of Melchizedek, he was coming for anyone and everyone. And yet as we finish reading the chapter 7 of Hebrews here, we see that Christ was greater than Melchizedek. Picking up verse 16. Who is made not after the law of of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and profitableness thereof. For the law is made nothing, for the law made nothing perfect, but bringeth in a better hope, did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. I'm going to just pause there for a moment. Like I said, Jesus was a better high priest, not just because he was of the order of Melchizedek, but also he was not limited for his lifetime here on earth. 
priests that had come before him were only priests while they were here. It did not last forever. And so there would be need of another priest. And then when that one passed away, there was need of another priest. But with Jesus, it was different. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, and undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer a sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. We think about how much greater a privilege it is to be under a high priest like Jesus versus the priest of the Old Testament. It talks about how they daily needed to make sacrifices. And it wasn't just for the sins of the people, it was for their own sins. But Jesus, because of who he was, could become the sacrifice. And then, because he's eternal and the Son of God, could go before God and stand next to him in heaven and be our intercessory sessor there. I had to think of an example. It would be like if we had committed a crime and we needed a pardon from the president to be able to be free from prison, to walk free again and to live. Would you rather have someone who's just a lowly representative in the state of Indiana petitioning on your for you as the priest did daily petitioning daily petitioning but not knowing for sure if you're going to get pardoned or would you rather have Mike Pence who is very close to President Trump and you could use other presidents I'm not just saying it for that would you rather have the vice president petitioning for you to the president for your pardon and that's the way it is with Christ he's right there with God with his father petitioning making intercession for us and so we have so much greater a blessing than what they did in the old testament but yet those things, the, the process, the, the sacrifices, pointed forward to when Christ would come and offer himself and be that high priest. Now going back to Hebrews chapter 5. Look at the last four verses of the chapter. As you read this, it, it's... It's kind of strange that it's stuck in here. It feels like it doesn't belong in here. We've just been talking about Jesus as a high priest, who he is, what his position is. And then we go into verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. 
For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do any of you go, huh? What does that have to do with what the author of Hebrews is saying? And I believe it has a lot to do. I don't know if any of you are struggling this morning as I talked about Hebrews. Does it feel kind of deep and hard to understand at times? Does it feel like it's maybe even a little dry? There are other books of the Bible that are easier to understand. And I, I, I agree with you. It's, I, I believe too. It takes a lot of thought and a lot of study when you dive into Hebrews to completely fully understand what the author is trying to say. But here we get this challenge in the middle of it saying, don't just walk away, don't run away from it just because it's hard to understand. Yes, you started out with the milk. When, you, when there's a new Christian, you don't send them to Hebrews. You send them to John or some other book for them to start understanding the gospel, salvation. But if you want the meat, here's the meat. And then we'll go on further. Just as we were looking at in chapter 7 that comes after this, that the author is saying, there's meat, there's meat here. Keep studying. Keep looking into it. And I believe that's why... Um, this is in here. Then picking up verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrines of baptism, laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we do, if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. We see here that he is saying we. There are many who, when it comes to the meat, they did they like the milk. They like the beginning parts of God's word, the easier parts. But when it comes to the more difficult ones, when it comes to the ones that are harder to understand, they sometimes want to turn turn away. Hopefully, none of us here are struggling with that or or have made that decision to walk away, to not taste the meatier things. But it warns that there's a danger that those who have believed and have learned of the things of God will fall away. Why is, there, why is it a danger? Let's pick up a verse 8. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. 
But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you than things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed towards his name, in which ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance and hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God is faithful. We may not understand everything today. There may be things that we struggle with, totally comprehending. But God is faithful to walk with us. It warns us here not to be slothful, or another word would be lazy, but to be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit promises. There are many that have gone before us who were faithful, who were not lazy. So we need to be careful also. Then in verse 13, For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. There are promises that God has made to each one of us through his word. But it won't come by being lazy, by not wanting to take the meat of God's word. We must be diligent. We must work for it. We must study and pray. And then closing out the chapter, For men verily swear by a greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us, which hope we have, an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. As it says here, God cannot lie. We have in scripture that it says if we are obedient to his word, if we believe on him, he's faithful. We have many, many promises like that. And it says here, God doesn't lie. He doesn't make a promise and then break it. And not only that, he is a refuge. We're living in a time where all around the world there are people, like Terrell mentioned, protesting. They're looking for something to grasp onto, something that feels sure. As governments, as countries... Seem to seeming to be falling apart. There's a lot of fear. But yet, everyone who calls on God, he's going to be faithful. He's going to be a refuge to hold on to. And we have the promise that just as Jesus entered into heaven as a, our high priest, so we can also do that and I believe that's a promise that we can hold on to 
He does, God does not lie, and Jesus will not fail in being our high priest. It's a, it's a message I know is maybe it's one that I struggle to know how to make simple, how to make easy to understand. I hope the Holy Spirit helped in that way this morning. But I hope we understand just the amazing fact of who Jesus is. Not only is, did he come and die on the cross for our sins, and we understand that basic thing, but that he took the place of all those priests of the Old Testament and is a high priest that's so much better than any of those men could have been. There are people today who follow this man or they follow that person and then that person fails. We need to be careful that we are following God and his word. Not saying that we can't find strength from listening to a man, to a person speak, to a teacher. Those that's important. But ultimately we should be putting our faith and trust in Jesus and his father. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the fact that you came to this earth. You suffered, you died. Lord, so that you could say, you could be our high priest. You could understand what we go through when we struggle with those things. Thank you, Lord, for what you did. Also, thank you, Lord, for the promises we have in your word. The promise that you will come again and that you will take us to be with you if we live obedient, if we follow after you. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help each one that's here this morning to stay in your word, to be examples to those around us, to be light in a dark world. And I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.